Greetings, thanks for joining us. I'm coming to you from our home and there may be a few things that you've noticed about me. One is that I like this chair and that is true. I've had several of you make comments over the previous weeks about this chair and I like it. A second thing is that I like to ask questions. And so true to form, I'm going to start today by asking some questions and these questions are actually pretty serious and I want you to consider them. Firstly, are you anxious? And if you are anxious, what's the cause or what are the causes of that anxiety that you're wrestling with? Maybe today you could give me a very clearly articulated list of things. Or maybe for others of you, you're like, I don't know, I just feel anxious. It's like under the surface, this anxiety is just percolating away. No matter what the cause of your anxiety may be, if you're feeling anxious, you're not alone. I was reading an article just this week that talked about how anxiety is at a record level across our culture. You don't have to watch or listen to much news to not yourself become infected with anxiety. Thankfully, God has a lot to say about not just anxiety, but it's nasty friends of fear and worry. These three together form an unholy trio fear, anxiety, and worry, that wage war daily against the human heart. And God knew that there would be this battle, this war going on with his creation and with these enemies of anxiety, fear, and worry. And so he spoke a lot and has spoken through his words to us and given us instruction and encouragement in the battle against anxiety, against fear, and against worry. And there is one such place in God's Word that I want to take you today. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. And it speaks to anxiety. It instructs us in how to battle it. And it gives us this beautiful promise on the other side of it. And so it's found in Philippians chapter 4. And I'd love to invite you to read along with me today. So if you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 4. It's towards the end of the Bible. And we're going to start reading at the very end of verse 5 because that's where the sentence that we're going to read in verse 6 starts. So if you join with me, we'll start at the end of verse 5. It says this, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a beautiful scripture. And it starts with this beautiful little phrase. It says, the Lord is at hand. Now, perhaps some of you, that's really what you need to hear today. That God is at hand. You know, there's many people in this world that walk around doing life believing that if there is a God, that He is some sort of distant deity who's disinterested in our lives and, and uninvolved in the lives of, of humans. But that is not true. That is not biblical. God's reminding us here, as He does many times in His Word, that He is near, that He is close. And so I want to encourage you today that this is a truth that we can believe, that God is near that He knows us, and that He is intimately involved in every layer of life and of His creation. And so I hope you're encouraged by that as we jump into what the directive is in this verse. It says, so it starts out with this promise that God is at hand. And then it says, 
that we are to not be anxious about anything. Now, to be honest, I, I wish that this verse in some ways just said, do not be anxious. But it does add those extra two words. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, that's a little bit more all-encompassing. Because if, if it just said, do not be anxious, I'd be like, all right, I'll, I'll try not to be anxious. But there's probably a few things that I'll hold on to and be anxious about. But it doesn't leave me that wiggle room. It says, do not be anxious about anything. And so we look at that and we're like, okay, really? Like, is that what we have to be? Is that what God's calling us to? Now, just a moment of honesty here. As I was studying, I looked up this anything word in the original language just to see if there was any wiggle room and there's not. It says nothing. Basically, be anxious about nothing. Like you can't have anything that you are anxious about. So what God is saying to us is not to be anxious, not to be worried, not to be fearful of anything. And so that's the first half of the instruction. There's another half to the instruction. You see, it goes on after that. It says, do not be anxious about anything, first half, second half, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what this is saying to us is that we need to bring everything to God. And just as the first part of the instruction is all-encompassing, it says, don't be anxious about anything, so is the second part of the instruction. It says, in everything, we are to bring our fears, our anxieties and worries to God. So how do we do that? Well, the instruction's clear, right? It says, by prayer. What's prayer? Prayer is talking to God. It's, it's interacting to the God who, again, hears us. He is near. He does hear us. And then it says, by prayer and by supplication. Some translations of the Bible say by petition. What this word means is an urgent and steady seeking and entreating of God. Now, personally, I, I don't really need an illustration of this because I have an eight, almost nine-year-old son. And he is the epitome of what this is describing. When he has something that's on his heart, on his mind, he comes and tells Liz, my wife and I, these things over and over. He, he, he brings a supplication. He petitions us. He lobbies us. He comes over and over again to us. Now, I will just note with you, when it says that we are to, with supplication, bring our request, this supplication is, the instruction is to be done with thanksgiving. So when we come to God in prayer and we come to Him in petition over and over again, bringing our requests to Him, there's also to be in us a thanksgiving, a posture of gratitude. Now, what's interesting to think about is the thought that God already knows what we need before we ask Him. He knows what we need. And so... Why do we have to come to him and ask? Why does he want us to do this? If God is all-knowing, he already knows what we're going to ask before we come to him. Why do we have to come to him with our anxieties and even petition him with our anxieties? Well, there's something profound in this that I want you to think about. It is good for us. It is good for our hearts to acknowledge their rightful place, our neediness, our dependence on God, the creator and giver of all things. You see, it's not just good for our hearts, it also glorifies God. It puts God in His rightful place where He belongs. Now, sometimes we don't want to bring our anxieties to God because that would require humility on our part. 
Our pride inhibits us. It stops us from bringing our worries to the only one who can really properly deal with them. And when we are attacked by anxiety, worry, and fear, and we don't bring these things to God, what can we expect to start to happen? Well, you may be familiar with what happens is worry, fear, and anxiety kind of, in some ways, this sounds a bit gross, but they give birth to more problems. We start to feel overwhelmed, depressed, lost, hopeless. Now, I want you to think about these feelings of being depressed, overwhelmed, hopeless, and contrast these feelings with what God doesn't just offer us here in this passage, but He actually promises us. We've been talking about thinking and considering the promises of God. Here is one that we're looking at. And you'll see it in verse 7 if you read it with me. So we are to bring these anxieties to God. And then in verse 7 it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace. Peace is what God is offering to us in exchange for our anxiety. That's a really good deal for us to, in, in, in return for our anxiety, to experience peace. And not just pseudo-peace, not just this, oh yeah, I've kind of got some peace. No, we're talking about a peace that surpasses understanding. And I think some of us struggle to understand, okay, well, what does that actually mean? What does that even look like? Liz and I were fortunate enough to catch, catch up with one of our friends in Austin this week. A couple there. And as we were talking with the wife, she was explaining to us some of her medical testing that she's been going through. And she's just had this new diagnosis and found out that her liver is slowly dying. And basically, in five to ten years, it's going to be done. And if she doesn't have a transplant, basically, she's going to die. And she is this person who loves God and has been bringing her anxiety, her worry and her fear about this particular thing to God. And as we were talking with her, she just shared with her, and these are her words basically, she said, I have an inexplicable amount of peace. What she was articulating was exactly what we're talking about here, a peace that passes understanding. For all intents and purposes, she should be freaked out right now. But she's not because she's given it to God and she trusts that God is sovereign, that He is good, that He is in control of all things. So God tells us here that this peace that passes understanding, what it does for us is that it will guard our hearts, which is the place of our feelings, and our minds, which is the place of our thinking, of our discerning and our decision making. And the word guard means uh, more than just like uh, some sort of protection. It's talking about a shield, a hemming in, a, a garrison of soldiers. It's like a military term. As our hearts and our minds are attacked by fear, worry, and anxiety, these things can be overcome, can be guarded against. For those of us who look to God, His peace can guard against the onslaught of these enemies. But let's just pause and speak realistically for a moment. If we're honest, we all struggle to find peace. From those of us who would not identify as Christians, there's some of you who are probably watching along who are like, yeah, I'm not sure about this whole God thing. Right through to those of us who have been Christians for a long time, we all struggle to maintain peace. Why is that? Why is peace a fleeting commodity? Well, it's because... We try to look for peace in the wrong places. 
We look for peace in security, in satisfaction, in success. We're, we're hoping that these things, these places will give us peace. We're like, okay, because I have this, I'm going to be peaceful. I have this job. I have this relationship. Or when I have this job or when I have this relationship or this amount of money in my bank account, I'll be at rest. I'll be peaceful. But what we find is that all of these things are fleeting. And even Christians can slip to looking to the wrong things to give them peace. But the only peace that is promised that will last comes from one source. And it's the one that we've spoken about here from Philippians chapter 4. That source is the Savior, Jesus Christ. Look back at the passage with me and it, it makes this very clear. It says at the end, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in what? In Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus alone can deliver on his promise of peace. Why is that? It's because he is the Prince of Peace. If you were to go to Isaiah chapter 9, a book where this guy prophesied the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, long, hundreds of years before he even came, he called Jesus the Prince of Peace. Now, I want to read something interesting for you. There's, there was a thinker and a theologian named A.W. Tozer, and he talked about our hearts and our struggle with peace. He said this, Our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter. Within the human heart, things have taken over. Men have now by nature no peace within their hearts, for God is crowned there no longer. This just hit the nail on the head as to what we're talking about. Is the Prince of Peace going to sit in his rightful place as king in your life? And by so doing, by having him sit in that rightful place, are you going to experience a peace that surpasses your understanding? Or are you going to allow other things to try and sit in his rightful place? My encouragement to myself, just as much to you today, is that we would come to God, that we would ask him for his peace. James chapter 4 says, you have not because you ask not. 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. And so I want to encourage you, come to the Prince of Peace today and experience the peace that surpasses understanding. There is no other source, there is no other way for you to experience freedom from the anxieties of life. And so let us all come, humbly come to him and give him our fears, give him our worries, Give him our, our anxieties. And may we be able to experience, really experience this promise of peace.